Barton Maths Podcast is proudly supported by Oxford University Press, who want to let you know about some recent exciting changes to their online platform, MyMaths. Now, for anyone unfamiliar with MyMaths, it's a whole school digital resource for primary and secondary schools. It contains hundreds of self-marking homework activities, interactive lessons, games, and automated results tracking, making it great for both remote and classroom teaching. Both the schools I've worked in have had my math subscriptions, but I'm going to be honest with you here, I've always been really frustrated that it was built on Flash, meaning students couldn't access it on their phones or tablets. Well, great news. MyMaths has recently undergone a massive conversion project to modernise the platform and make it compatible with tablet devices. Woohoo! The team have also been working with teachers to identify new features to add to MyMaths. So the latest update allows teachers to see their students' individual answers rather than just their scores. Obviously, this makes it so much better to know exactly where your students have gone wrong in their homework so you can offer them some help. There's also video support in secondary MyMaths activities. These videos are designed to offer secondary students the right help at the right time as they work through their homework. New batches of support videos are added to the platform on a regular basis. An annual subscription to MyMaths for your whole school costs just £625 plus VAT for secondary schools and £355 plus VAT for primary schools with discounts available for smaller schools. So even if your school previously had a MyMath subscription, you can still sign up for a free trial to check out these great updates. Any teacher can sign up for a 30-day free trial at mymaths.co.uk. That's mymaths.co.uk. And welcome to another episode of the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. This is one of the conference takeaway special episodes. We are coming live from the end of day one of the Maths Association. Now, let me get this right. I'm going to say 150th anniversary special conference. Would that be right, Joe? That's right. Isn't that incredible? You know, 150 years is a really long time. And what is it? Oh, I can't say it. Sacred centennial. <laughs> we should have rehearsed that, right, before then. But yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's yeah, something. But that's, it's amazing because they've been around, they were the first subject association in the world. So let me work this out. Is it 1871, 1950 years? Yeah, sounds yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, that it's a really big deal for the MA to be celebrating this massive anniversary. So this is a really important conference. Fantastic. And as you've heard here, I'm joined by my regular conference takeaway co-host, Joe Morgan. Hello, Joe. Hello, Craig. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Now, you have been talking today, and we'll get on to all that, and we'll talk about the the day as usual. But first, how are you, Joe? How's everything going? You've just finished uh, finished another term at school, right? I did, yeah. I broke up yesterday. Um, and given the given the week I have had, that was quite a relief. Because, <laughs> you know, it was bad enough. So we had three and a half weeks. You know, obviously, we had all the remote stuff, and that yeah. was all crazy, you know, intense period yeah. of our lives for all teachers in the country. Then we went back to school and we thought we got three and a half weeks to get through of normal teaching. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the first week back for me was like a personal hell because I, I'm in charge of cover for the school. I had uh, loads of staff off sick. Yes. Um, 
oh, and then, you know, they had this stupid lateral flow test thing that they've now backtracked on, yes. where if we had a student who got a positive lateral flow, even if it was, even if it was wrong, then we still had to send home 50 kids. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I had all my had all my Pythagoras and trigonometry plan that I was so excited about. And then I just lost like most of my class. And so I was, I was really, really upset. And I like, just had a terrible return to school. But the whole time we're like, don't worry, it's only a few weeks and then it's Easter. And then you won't believe what happened on Sunday. <laughs> so sun, uh, half 11 on Sunday morning, I got a message from my principal. And bear in mind, I'm an assistant principal, so yep. I'm, I'm 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 SLT, but I don't get I don't get WhatsApps at the weekend. Right, from my okay. And he sent a message. And he said, "We've got an urgent meeting at midday today on Zoom." And what? that's weird for a start because we use Teams, and it's like, why are we meeting on Zoom? And why are we meeting on a Sunday? And why is he not saying what it is? Yeah, so obviously, yeah, I, thought, yeah. I thought someone had died. Like, it was really, I was really yes. nervous about the call. And it turns out, and it's been in the news, so I can say I can I'm allowed to say what's in the public domain. But basically, Harris um, Federation, which is like 50 plus schools, got taken for a ransomware attack, <sighs> which means that some horrible people are holding us to ransom, holding our data <laughs> and our systems to ransom. Um, so what that meant was, luckily, it was only uh, three days: Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. We have had um, no Wi-Fi, no computers, no systems, can't do registers, um, li- no phones, no way of communicating with parents to tell them this. <laughs> wow. Um, so th- so as a, uh, for teachers, this is probably a, a slight inconvenience, but actually a little bit funny. Um, but for, <laughs> for SLT, this is horrific. Um, you know, we were literally, we've done paper registers. We've had students like lining up before they go inside so we can do the registers, oh. which by the way, we got out the recycling bin and they were for, they were our fire registers from last week. Jeez. That's how we had paper registers. We had to set up a Gmail account for parents to contact. So I've done that. I'm in charge of websites. So all our communications are now going through the website. Um, and we've been using personal mobiles for all calls. Wow. Um, and like all these things, it's it's just insane. And like the lessons themselves um, have been lovely. Like I've, there's been teachers taking their kids outside to read yeah. Shakespeare in the sun and stuff. And the lessons have been wonderful. But um, it's been from a operations, given that I am like the operations person, I do cover and I do timetable. Um, it's been a challenge. <laughs> and um and I think that the the thing, obviously, we don't know yet is whether we'll get all our files back. And, you know, when you think, well, I've, I've got on an external hard drive, um, like over a decade's worth of yeah, lessons yeah, yeah. in schools, but they were all GCSE and A-level. I've been now teaching all Key Stage 3 for two years. And every single one of my lessons for two years is saved on Harris Systems. Oh, you're joking. Um, and so I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm just crossing my fingers it will be fine. Oh. And I think that worst case scenario, we don't get things back. But I know a lot of schools have been taken by similar ransomware attacks recently. And I was talking to a teacher earlier today on Twitter who said they haven't got everything back. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, it's like literally like making me like the biggest anxiety. I can't imagine losing two years. It's just a workload, isn't it? So I can recreate those lessons, but I was hoping that next year I wouldn't have to rewrite my year seven, eight and nine lessons because I thought I could reuse this year's. I mean, all your lessons are from old textbooks anyway, so you've nothing to worry about there. <laughs> who's, um, who's ransoming it? Do you know who it is? No, and how I much are they charging? That's my other question. Like, you know, MI5 are involved. Um, <laughs> apparently the, um, the, the, the ransom isn't, isn't massive and i think it even costs more to get the uh, the security consultants to help us with it than the wow. ransom but you can't pay the ransom because then they think that then other 
ransom companies, well, ransom, yeah, not companies, yeah. ransom people, <laughs> yeah. will think that they can come and uh, take you for ransom in the future. So, you, but, but then some private companies, because loads of schools have been done lately, right. some private companies just pay the bloody ransoms. So they're, yes. they're, you know, they're letting us all down by paying the ransoms because now these uh, hackers think that they can, they will get paid. So it's happened. It's happened to so many schools in the last, um, in the last few months. There's something like four schools in March or four mats. So the big multi academy trust. Mm. So just a recommendation if you're a teacher, if you can back up your files yeah. on your personal drive. Then I'm do. amazed you don't have stuff backed up elsewhere. I'm well, really disappointed is, in you here. To be no, but you know me. how it, you know how it works these days. You're not allowed memory six or yeah, seven. Yeah, they don't work in your school computer. Yeah, true. Um, true. And I look. I do have because I use my home computer for work a lot. I do have some stuff on my home computer, yeah. but not all my daily lessons. And you know what, though? Some of my colleagues, they don't have a home laptop. And I find this weird because my whole life is on my home laptop. Yeah, you know, yeah. my photos and all my yeah, tax yeah. documents, like everything's on my home laptop. But some of my colleagues only have a work laptop. And we've now had to hand all those in to be wiped and clean. Yes. So that means that I have a lot of colleagues who now for the next two and a half weeks don't have a computer in their life at home. Um, and I have one colleague, bless him, NQT, who had all his NQT evidence and all his lesson oh, files no. saved on the desktop of his laptop, oh, no, which has no, now no. been wiped. That's not ideal. Um, yeah, so it's it's been um, it's actually been just the most ridiculous three and a half days, and it's um, it, I would like to say it's all over. I've got a rest from it now, um, but I am still getting you know work emails through um, through Gmail and contact from my boss through WhatsApp. Um, and I, I still don't have, we still don't have any systems up and running. So it's a bit of a weird one. And the funny thing is that we have to communicate with staff through WhatsApp this week. Oh, so we had to go back to old fashioned briefings. So during COVID, we had all our Monday morning briefings virtually. Yep. And now this week we had to have one in person. So there's a COVID risk there where we had to have all staff in the same room. Um, and then every other message I've had to pass on, say, to the maths team, I've had to do through WhatsApp. But we don't get any mobile reception in my building. Oh. So we just have no way. I've literally just had to go and physically find people to pass on messages to say that there's a briefing. So it's, yeah, isn't it funny how a lot of teachers, when I, I tweeted about it vaguely and a few teachers said, oh, it sounds like heaven, old-fashioned teaching. Mm. It's like, yeah, but you don't, there's 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 just a lot of logistical things. Yes, oh. and it's not through choice, is it? That's the big, that's the big yeah. difference there. But yeah. Tell you what, well, dramatic start to the podcast there, Joe. There's always a, <laughs> always a story with you. So I like I like that. And the good news is when we come back from day two next week, maybe you'll have an update. Who knows? I might do. It might all be fine then and I'll be, I'll be in a much better, place mentally not worrying about my files yeah. well i'm wondering whether people were trying to get the ransom as early access to your presentation maybe for today that they maybe. just couldn't wait that that could be <laughs> that that could be it who knows right joe well we'll move seamlessly on from from that dramatic opening to talking about today's uh, conference now i have a bone to pick with you before we start right now, Joe Morgan, we're very good friends, known each other for yeah. quite a few years now. And yeah. one of the main reasons I'm friends with you is I hope I get some kind of benefits from it, right? right. But I'm not seeing them at the moment because you're on this MA committee. Is this this is true, right? Yes, I'm on council, yeah. Council, right. Okay. Yeah. So how's this happened to me? So I've gone from 12 months ago, I was one of the keynote speakers. I was in a, going to be put up in a posh spa hotel, <laughs> treat, the kind of VIP treatment I deserve, Right. Yeah. 12 months later, I'm doing a workshop. I've been cut off this keynote thing. I'm down to a workshop and I'm paying 10 quid for the privilege of delivering it. So what's happened there? Explain that to me. It is the same for me. I was meant to do a, I was meant to do a keynote last year and I'm, I've been um, knocked off that pedestal. Yeah, I, 
Um, yeah, we're not, we're not talking. And Chris Smith was meant to do a keynote. Yeah, correct. Yeah, we're so all coughing up. All gives the cash. I'm not not on my spa hotel. I'm at ten pound down, and I'm in Preston. Absolutely fuming. So I'm not happy there. I'm I, I'm starting to side with the ATM now. The more I, I don't think they'd be treat treat me like this. So yeah. Anyway, right. Okay. Right. Well, let's move on then to today. Now, first thing I wanted to say, um, I think. And I think you'll agree with me. These online conferences, they're getting slicker, aren't they? Like the more, the more we're into them now. I think LaSalle really kind of set the tone for this. I remember that first one they did where you just clicked on the links from the PDF. And it was slick as anything. But I thought today was would generally run really slickly. And I tell you, I really liked that compare. It's a really good voice in. Where'd you get him from? Well, he's I'm obviously weaving the MA has engaged this uh, conference delivery company, which mm. makes a lot of sense. And and I don't think you you went to, you didn't go to the speaker training. No. He was hilarious in the speaker training. He the, the funny thing is he taught all the speakers how to use Zoom in so much detail. And I thought I could have done with this training a year yeah, ago. <laughs> it yeah, was like, yeah. it was like, and if you hover at the bottom, then these things. And it was like so much. And I was thinking, we I think we've all used Zoom now, but actually, it was really good Zoom yes. training. Um, and um, and he said that um, he talked about how certain lighting you should use. Oh, and I said wow. to my husband, I said, well, this guy says that I should have these spotlights either yeah. side and I couldn't rely on the daylight. So I, my husband's gone out and bought these really fancy I was thinking you lit very well here. This is very I, actually, I haven't got them on at the moment. You should see. I mean, actually, I'm sorry. I've, I've put, I've, I've, no one can see at home, can they? So I've got a blue light now in here. Can you see that? <laughs> I've just been playing with them today and I've got a yellow light over here um, and I've got a little remote control for them. So, but yeah, so the, the guy, the guy was really funny. Um, and, um, but I still think that the LaSalle system mm. is fantastic in that when you go to a LaSalle conference, the, the speakers in Zoom, but no one else is in Zoom. So yes. you're not getting people's cameras on and you're not getting yeah. people arriving halfway through and coughing and all yeah, this. You yeah, know. And, yeah. and so, um, and I do think LaSalle um, are kind of making that software available to people now because I think mm. they did say to the MA that the MA could use LaSalle software, but I think it was too late. We'd already yeah, get to yeah. people. But um, yeah, that's the only thing I don't like about Zoom is that um, that thing where if people join mid-session and they don't mute themselves, then it's like yes. someone's like, you know, can hear sort of background stuff. But yeah, it is. Um, the breakout rooms seem to work pretty well. Um, um, yeah. So it was, it's, it's been um, as far as I know, unless anything's gone wrong anywhere that I don't know about, it's been a really smoothly run all day. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Right. Okay. Well, we do our usual where we'll talk through the sessions that we went to. So obviously we were both in the opening keynote now, this was, uh, am, am I saying this right here? Nira, Dr. Nira? Naira. Naira, that was Naira, it, Dr. Naira yeah. Chamberlain, uh, president of the Institute of Mathematics and its Applications. And his talk was entitled The Black Heroes of Mathematics. Well, I thought it was fantastic, Joe. Well, what, what, was, your, what was your kind of key takeaways from this? Yeah, he, he's a fantastic speaker, isn't he? he really, mm. He's a good storyteller. Yes. Um, and so interesting when he said that his career as advisor at school, when he said he wanted to be a mathematician, said he should be a boxer. Yeah. And then what was it? His son was told he should be a um, singer or something. You think, yes. what are these people doing, know, giving such terrible advice and ignoring people's interest in mathematics? It's, that's really frustrating. I, I'd love to be told that I should be a boxer, though. I don't think that's ever happening to me. That's that's <laughs> the only... Uh, I was a bit jealous with that. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> There's this thing about stereotypes that's so yeah, frustrating. And, and I, I was shopping about a year ago and I went into Marks and Spencers and when I was buying some stuff and the woman said to me, oh, are you buying some work clothes? And I said, yeah, I'm getting some new stuff for work. She said, oh, you're a secretary. That's good. But yeah, it's, it's frustrating to be stereotyped. And it was, um, I just, that, that's, it's so, 
it's just really sad, isn't it, to hear that there may still be people now who yes. are being put off certain careers and certain uh, studying certain subjects by just these people that are just so clueless and it's so frustrating. Um, so I'd sort of feel like everyone should see Naira's talk. Yes. Um, all careers advisors should see that talk and learn that lesson. Um, and yeah, it was really lovely because he, he he showed some really good montages and these sort of yeah. video montages um, about black mathematicians. Um, I admit I knew very few of them, so Me I was too. really Me interested. Too. And you know what, we at my school, we name our maths classes after mathematicians. Um, and um, I've, so I've decided that, um, well, I should consult the head of maths first, really, but I've, deci- I've decided that next year we're going to have all of our new maths classes for when year seven come in. We're going to make name them all after the black mathematicians nice. that he talked about because I just didn't, I didn't know any of them apart no. from Catherine Johnson, who um, obviously I've seen Hidden Figures and it's yep. just such a good film. But even when I watched Hidden Figures, I was quite embarrassed that I didn't know about yes. those women and how amazing they were. Um, so, yeah, it's something that... Um, it's something that I think everyone should probably watch Nivers talk, really, shouldn't they? And, and it was great. And I think that you said that like a, an older version of the montage is available on YouTube or something. Yeah. So fingers crossed we'll be able to, to share the link. I'll tell you what, I wrote down a quote, Joe. I love this one. Um, I, he was saying that when it, I, I forget the detail. I think he, it was when he got his PhD or something like that and he was really proud. And then uh, <laughs> somebody uh, sent him an email to say, being the first is nothing to be proud of. The question is, what can you do to ensure you're not the last? And I got like goosebumps when yeah, I heard that. I thought that, that really is. And, and I think um, the thing that's then that then he said was that he actually, since he was, was it in the, it was in the top hundred scientists list of it. Yes, that's it. No, there has since then not been another black mathematician. So he, you know, so he, he needs to, he he does all these talks because he wants that to change. He doesn't want to be the first and the last. Yes. So yeah, it was that was a really lovely thing he said, and it was you're right. It was really sort of poignant. It did sort of uh, make me think. That was good. It was a fantastic way to kickstart the conference. And yeah. as I say, hopefully that the montage will be available. It was, yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. Really good. And then people in the chat were just saying, we need to show this video to our kids and stuff. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, yeah. it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And then we moved from that to um, another plenary, I guess, a kind of whole, whole conference session, which was run by Enrich. And it was creating a low threshold, high ceiling classroom. Now, whenever I think of Enrich, Joe, I always think of the session that we went to together. Do you remember that when we were well out of our depth, trying to make octagons and all sorts yeah, of stuff? that was amazing. <laughs> a photo of us on the floor with our um, tessellations. That's, that's right. Great. That's I always right. have an Enrich session. They're always me too, fun. me yeah. too, me too. And it was good. They delivered it uh, really nicely to kind of bouncing off each other. I thought it was really good. Uh, what were your takeaways from this before I share a few things that I... Um, so this was this was great because you know and and rich we all love enrich but when i was um i probably talked about this on the podcast before when i was a pgc student i was they kind of made out that it was the only the only place that we should be ever using maths tasks from yes, uh, you yes. know it was like you know i was told enrich existed and i was told about the standards unit and that was it yes. and then i think as a when you're a teacher and you start you think well i have to use enrich and then you, you use them and you think oh my god no one knows what i'm talking about and i'm getting blank faces from my students and it sounds like what they've been doing is working through their tasks and trying to make them um, more accessible yes. by introducing those extra layers. Um, and that is so welcome and so brilliant because, you know, we've all we've all we all really want to use enriched tasks. And sometimes we just find them just too just too hard to get into. So the fact that they have been revamping them um, is really fantastic news. And, you know, they talked us through this task dozens Yes. Um, which was just delightful. And it's um, enrich.maths.org slash dozens for the task. And it's got this lovely interactivity. 
um, lots and lots of uh, opportunities to to make it accessible and to make it really challenging. Um, and I'm really pleased that they've they've sort of um, up, upgraded their tasks in that way. And, and it just it was fantastic. And like you say, the delivery of the session mm. was spot on. Like the they were like very very engaging expert teachers. And in the way that they spoke to the delegates, um, it was almost like they were talking to us like we were students, but not in a patronising way. Yes. They were just using this beautiful tone and way of explaining that was just absolutely perfect. They were so, so talented as um, delivering, sort of communicating, basically. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I thought it was excellent. I really liked, uh, again, I, I was trying to write down a quote I liked. I like this. Good tasks give an opportunity for everyone to get started and everyone to get stuck. I thought that was nice. I never heard that second bit quite phrased like that. So I thought that was a, a nice alternative to, to low threshold, high ceiling. But I had something I wanted to, to just say to you briefly, Ajo. Um, and this isn't meant as a negative thing or anything. I just think this is a challenge. And I wonder if, you, if you've experienced this. You know, whenever you go to like problem solving CPD or when there's a workshop that involves you doing some maths, I think it's very hard to kind of put yourself, uh, what's the best way to say this? I, I always end up getting carried away with the maths and I get excited with the maths and so on. So when I, when, when that Enrich session was on, I was doing all the maths. When you yeah. when you were talking through, um, showing some of your resources, particularly uh, the fractions one that yeah. you did that we'll talk about, I was just doing the maths. And I think the challenges for delegates and, and people who attend those sessions, of course, to get excited by that, but also then think, what's this experience going to be like with my students, for my students, sorry, I should say, and how do I get them as excited as I am because we know not all students love maths as much as we love maths and I know in the past I think I've spoke about this before with, with even with you maybe Joe that I've come away from sessions like that thinking oh I cannot wait to give this to my students and I give it to my students and because I haven't thought through as much about how to deliver it how to scaffold and so on they, I've, it's always been a disappointment. They've never got as excited or as much out of it as I have. And I think for me, that's a challenge for me as a delegate and perhaps other listeners as well. When you're in these sessions and doing tasks, always take a moment to think, knowing our kids as well as we do, what's it going to take to get our students as excited about these tasks as I am? Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, I agree. And actually, what's really interesting is um, when they were asking they were asking the questions and teachers were very quickly putting the, the answer yes. in. It's like, that's not the point. We're not yes. really answering. Yeah. <laughs> but people are, there's no criticism of the teachers doing that because they're no. just excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, they, they, you know, you could always, and, and, and actually the presenters were really patient with that. Yeah. And they were saying, oh, isn't it fantastic that some people can <laughs> answer, even though we haven't asked them to answer yet. Um, but yeah, it's that thing of like, we're not here to prove we can do it because we know we can do yes. it. Like no one's testing us as math teachers in these sessions. Um, where yeah you're right we're meant to be thinking about the experience from a student's point of view um and and it is quite hard to do particularly when we're where we we were asked a, a maths question because we just yes, really like it i'd say the one where they showed um they showed this this common divisor one which I, I don't know how i didn't know this but you know oh no it wasn't it was always perfect this is really cool so i didn't know that if you how did i not know this if you take two cons no if you take two numbers that are two apart yep oh, so yeah. say nine and eleven say and you multiply them together and add one. I didn't know you always get a square number. No, I didn't know either. No, no, I, I didn't know. I, like no. I should have known that. <laughs> and yeah. I was writing them down thinking, oh, my God, they're always square. And that's, that was really exciting for me. And then, obviously, the, the proof bit for me, no problem. But the proof mm. bit for the students is really complex. Yes, yes. Because, it's, you know, you can do it with um, – you can do it in, in various ways. You can do it with you know, diagrams. You can do it with algebra. But, um, yeah, they, they, um, I was really excited to spot that they were square numbers – 
Um, and I started doing loads of them. Um, and you're right, we do get a bit sometimes carried away in these sessions doing the maths. And that's we don't a gold, really think, yeah, we don't that's think. a golden example, that Joe, because again, my instinct there, I see the two numbers two apart, it comes to a square number. So straight away I dive into the algebra trying yeah. to prove that and so on. And you cut out the experience that the kids are gonna have, because the kids don't naturally do that, or most no. kids don't do that. So it's how do you make that experience of playing around with the numbers as exciting as possible? And if we don't do that ourselves and we jump to the algebra. We're not going to be prepared for doing that with the kids. So yeah, yeah. I just I, I always like to reflect on that. And again, it's a failing as me of a de- as a delegate, but I, I get the feeling it's, that's quite a shared experience, perhaps amongst math yeah, teachers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um. And then after that, I mean, I I, I had to go and see you again, contractually obliged to do this. So Joe Morgan, what makes a good task? Now, I've said this to you before. I, I, again, I think you're getting better and better, Joe, with this. And you, your presentations are slicker. You, you, you're all over this black background now. With yeah, this, well, with that's it. what does it, you know. It's the black background. It's nice. No, it's nice. Ben Sparks, you know, he's a pro, so he's he <laughs> about the black background. Um, I'll t- I've got a couple of questions for you, but do you want to just very brief- briefly just give a quick overview of what you did, Joe, before I fire them at you? Yeah, I mean, I wanted, this is a, I did a similar session at the White Rose um, thing, secondary branch back in January, but this one was longer and I had sort of reflected on some of the things people said from that so I I put some different stuff in there but the main purpose was to talk about two features of task design so one of them is learner generation and that's where students come up with their own examples or their own questions and and there's various benefits to them doing that and they have to think deeply and it sort of um, tests their understanding of a concept like you can only really come up with your own examples if you understand a concept properly so that was the first sort of aspect and then the second aspect that I talked about was working backwards so you know instead of um, sort of using a procedure to solve a problem it's like if I give you the answer can you work backwards um, and these are two features that we all actually use quite a lot. And there's lots and lots of resources we use that have either learner generation or working backwards. Um, but the purpose of my talk was to sort of draw attention to those features and then to show loads of examples of resources where they are used and show people where they can get those resources. Yeah, it was fantastic, Joe. And you've kindly made your PowerPoint available. That's on your blog at the moment, isn't it? It is. Not, for, your blog? not forever. <laughs> not forever. <laughs> you know, I just, I want that just to be people that came for the talk. I don't want everyone to have that because otherwise I can't do the talk again. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So people that came to the talk can have that and then I'm going to, I'm going to remove it. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Right. Okay. So here are my questions for you. So um, first I'll go for a specific one first. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot. So you, you talked about learning generation. And it's such a powerful thing. And what I really liked is you made the point that the students generating their own examples shouldn't be reserved as an extension activity. Mm-hmm. We want all students to have that opportunity to, to, to do that. And you also made the point in response to a question, I think, that um, students need to be fluent in the basics first before they start creating their own examples. And I thought that was a very valid point. And my question to you is, and I think you alluded to this in your talk, but I just wanted to press you a bit more. The, the challenge, of course, is, is the checking of answers, isn't it? Like it's yeah. it's much easier if, if we as teachers have come up with a sequence of questions mm-hmm. for two reasons. One, we can check the answers of the kids much easier. And also they can check with each other if they're both yeah. working on the same thing. All the positives of, of, of learning generated examples definitely outweigh this challenge of not being able to check answers. Yeah. But any tips or experience about how to make sure kids are actually getting things right? Well, I mean, you're, you're right, because I, I, I've got a colleague who does lots of this and he, he gets students to write in their exercise book lots of their own ideas. And then, and then if I walk around the room and I look over their shoulder, they're just writing down wrong maths, basically, in their book. And, and he doesn't know that they're writing down wrong maths, yes. not seeing all those answers. Um, no, I, I don't I, mean, I don't really I don't really know the answer to this no. other than um, 
you'd hope they'd all kind of have a go at generating their own stuff and then there'd be a, a quite a lengthy class discussion where you're drawing out and you're getting you're sort of cold calling them to share their ideas yes. and then you're having discussions and they're all learning from the discussion I would hope so even if they've kind of made a mess of their their own examples hopefully they will learn from the discussion I mean you must have had this with your um, maths friends your, yeah. how, do, how do you know whether they're getting them right on maths friends yeah it's, it's a good one so the, there's no perfect solution but I, I do two things so one is um, there's always a period of time where the students swap each other's Venn diagram okay. so that's the initial check if you sat in twos swap Venn diagram and just have a check of each other's right but what works quite nice with the Venn diagrams is when you go through the answers I'll normally take normally three so we've got in for Venn diagrams there's if it's a triple Venn diagram I think there's eight regions A to H mm -hmm. so what I'll do with region A is I'll say uh, Matt you give me what you got for region A Mirren what did you get Emma what did you get we'll get three and then we'll look for a bit of a generalization about them. Yeah. What have they all got in common? And once we establish that generalization, kids can then use it to check their yeah. own answer. And if then I say, look, if, if you're still confused whether yours right or not, feel free to ask. But hopefully the more you do it, kids get confident to realize, ah, yeah, I see the pattern. Yeah, my one works. Yeah. So, sense. yeah, for example, if you were saying generate an nth term that only contains even numbers, then you would say, well, we need to have a... Uh, an even coefficient exactly. of n and we need to have an even constant and and they can check from that you're right so yeah i suppose um in most tasks they're, they're you're right the generalization is kind of telling them what what their answer should look like and that's the bonus because again john mason always says um, math lessons wherever possible should contain opportunities to generalize and and that's mm -hmm. the beauty of student generated answers you're almost forced to find that generalization so students can check their own examples so mm -hmm. I, th I think it works well i was just interested in in your take yeah. on that mm -hmm. uh, do you want the tricky question I'll go on then. <laughs> right. So uh, what night are we on now? I've lost track. Thursday, is it maybe or something? Yes, it's Thursday. Thursday. Okay. So two nights ago, I was doing a podcast with uh, Christian. I always get his, I always can't say his surname right. Br I'm going to have to learn this for the podcast. Bot <laughs> it's Aaron. I thought it was <laughs> I'm not even going to cut this bit out because I don't have time to edit it. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to look. Here we go. Right. I'm going to say Bokhove. B-O-K-H-O-V. Okay, yeah. fine. We'll go with that. We'll go with that, Bucko. <laughs> so I did um, an interview with him. I've not put it out yet. It'll come out after this one, uh, probably in a couple of weeks or so. But one of the things we spoke about was textbooks. And Christian couldn't believe when he came over from the Netherlands that we didn't have like a, a popular textbooks, like nationally used and so on. Mm. And he talks about how Japan, obviously, they're very big into textbooks and teachers do a lot of their planning from textbooks. And, mm -hmm. and he's, he thinks it's a really valuable thing. My question to you, Joe, as the queen of resources right. is if we had like if you had access to a really good textbook that your school used and perhaps you know um was was used in 20 30 50 percent of schools across the country and it was it was really good you were really happy with the sequence of questions the extension tasks the investigations would, would you bother putting all the time into look for resources or do you look for resources because you because of the lack of a textbook like that if that makes sense yeah, it's really it's really hard to because it would be such a kind of fundamental shift in my teaching style. Yeah. In mind, when I was an NQT, I worked in a school for five years that was a really textbook school. We because we we um I used textbooks in most of my lessons, but it was during that time where I started like noticing other resources and thinking, yeah. oh, that looks nice. So yes. basically, I supplemented textbook work, which I still. So basically, I would use textbooks then. For what I now, when I now use the snipping tool and take a little bit from Corbett Maths or a little bit from CIMT and have like, you know, 10 fluency questions on yeah. the board for a quick bit of practice, 
that's what I would have used a textbook for was the yeah. quick bit of fluency practice. But then if I wanted to do like a rich task, that was when I was using other resources. So I was just using a bit of both. Now, if a textbook existed like the Japanese ones, which yeah. are brilliant, I do really like them. And if a textbook existed that kind of incorporated fluency and lovely rich tasks and all this um, learn generation and backwards thinking and all those nice things, um, then I suppose you could argue that I wouldn't need to um, to be finding all these other resources. But I just can't imagine the size of this textbook. Like, yeah. I, just, I just can't yeah. picture that. You know, the, I just I can't picture what it would look like. I mean, I know that you know, textbooks used to be a long time ago, you'd have one just for algebra and yes. just for geometry. And the thought of putting in like an entire course, the entire key yeah. stage more into a textbook, like they're already massive and they just got fluency in them. Yeah. Imagine yeah. the size of it. But um no, I think um I think if it if such a thing existed and if it was really good, I'm sure I could use it. My my head of maths in my school is um she she wants to get textbooks for key stage four, and I said to her, look, if you get them, could you just could you just not get enough? I don't I don't need them for my classes, but that's only because I'm I'm in the habit of it, and we can all we can all adapt, can't we? So, you know, um, if I'm not gonna if she well if she does make me use textbooks at GCSE, I will still be using other stuff as well. It's in, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. The reason I wanted to ask you, I, th I thought, I suspected you might answer like that. And I think I would be the same as well. I find it hard not to look out there for the other stuff. But the point Christian was making is that one of the things he believes is a, a, what he described as a good bet in terms of that it will lead to higher maths attainment for students is coherence uh, across a maths department, kind of coherence across a, a scheme of work or a curriculum and so on. So like making sure that the NQT does isn't kind of left in the lurch trying to figure out what to use. And and I, I know a lot of the schools I've been lucky enough to work in, we've all been teaching the same topic, but we've been trying all kinds of different resources all, all over the place. And I always used to think, well, that's a really good thing because you get variety, you're allowed to be creative as a teacher. Mm -hmm. But the way Christian argued it, that it, coherence is perhaps more important because then you can then as a department discuss how this activity went and this resource went, this sequence of questions went. Maybe that out outweighs it. I don't know. It's a Maybe. tricky one, isn't it? Well, a lot of people have, have started talking about booklets again. That's a yeah. bit of fashion lately. And in fact, you know, if I had any, if I wanted to choose someone to write these textbooks, I'd probably choose the, the MathsPads, James and Nicola at MathsPad, because they've recently published some booklets for Place Value. They've started doing some booklets on their website, and their Place Value booklets are incredible. And it's all it's like a it's like a chapter from a textbook. Yes. Um, and it's got loads of fantastic activities plus some examples and explanations. And if they were to do a whole load of those as a textbook it would be really good um but yeah I do think there's this thing isn't it and I remember back I don't know, I'm talking like five years ago on Twitter there was a big argument for scripted lessons yes. and people talking and this was part of coming out of stuff that was happening at Michaela at the time and it was about should we all just basically read out scripts in our lessons and I'm thinking well who's writing that script because you know they, they better be really good um, but also, like I was, I said at the time, and, and I, I got some really arsey responses from some people where I said, actually, I don't think I want to be a teacher if I'm just reading the script. I don't really get why why I've sort of taken on this job as a teacher if I'm doing something that like anyone could like. I'm literally just reading it out loud. I'm not putting any of my own creativity yes. or any of my own ideas into it. Then I don't see where the job satisfaction is for me. And then they are, their argument back was the job satisfaction is in teaching the kids better. And yeah, that if yeah, I cared yeah, about yeah. the students, I wouldn't be saying this. <laughs> um, which case, at which point I blocked some people and just ran <laughs> away. <laughs> but um, yeah, there, there is an argument for, you know, 
would uh, one of the things I really enjoy, and I talked about this at the start of my talk today, I really like choosing tasks for my yes, lesson. And I yes. really love it when a task goes well and I yep. see students engaging in something that I've spent a while thinking about. Um, and I, I don't really want to take away the part of my job that I really love. So yeah, yeah. I'm not sure about textbooks really, but yeah. yeah. It's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. Right. Okay. So that was your session. So on to kind of workshop two. Where did you go here, Joe? Because um, I've got a good story about mine, by the way, but I'll good. go for you first. I'll just quickly talk to you a little bit about, I went to see, I didn't go for the whole thing because I was recovering from my session, but I did see Simon Cox um, talk about misconceptions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, he's talking about the work the EEF does on identifying the things that we do in teaching that have the most impact on our students. So talking about things like using manipulatives and representations and talking to colleagues about misconceptions and all these things that actually have a high impact. And he was talking about, you know, having maths department CPD, which his school has once a fortnight for two hours. They have, wow. It's amazing. Yeah, they have, they have basically once the kids go home early on a Thursday and then every week they have CPD and every other week it is math specific and they talk about the, the topics they're about to teach. So this is like perfect, That's great. Like amazing. But, um, it, yeah, so we're talking about misconceptions and what was interesting is he did um, a poll where he asked people to share some misconceptions that the most common misconceptions they see or misconceptions that particularly bother them. Um, and a lot of people talked about the sort of classic negative numbers. Like yeah. we know that's a massive, uh, massive area of misconception. Um, and it just made me think of, I saw two really interesting misconceptions this week. So okay. I'll, I'll just tell you about my two misconceptions. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So I was doing um, equation solving with year seven. I've got like the most adorable year seven class ever. They are just, they just plow through work and they just do anything and they're just, amazing and and they're really bright and they come up with cool methods and stuff so I love them and I did um we did um collecting like terms back in September because it's our first topic of the year yep. and now we come to our um uh, solving equations and we were doing x on both sides which they were doing really well at but then I, I went over and looked at someone's book which I'm not really allowed to do but you know I have my mask on and I did it from a distance and she had written down so she'd done one where she had a 5x on one side of the equation and 3x on the other side and she had um, subtracted 3x from each side, yep. and that's fine. So she ended up with a 2x on one side. So she could do 5x minus 3x, no problem. Strong start, yeah. Yep. But the next equation, she had a 2x on one side and an x on the other. And when she subtracted x from each side, she did 2x take away x, and she wrote a 2. Nice, yes. <laughs> and that, and yes. I think that she could do 5x take away 3x, but she can't yeah. do 2x subtract x because she thinks she's just not writing the x. So she thinks 2x take away x is just 2. And it was just a really interesting misconception because it, it only happened to show up because of the choice of numbers in the question. Which you know what? that It fascinates me, this, Joe. So you'll know I'm obviously doing work with misconceptions with diagnostic questions and ED and so on. Mm -hmm. And one, one part of the project we're doing at the moment is trying to tag what we're calling constructs so really fine grain so instead of saying um compare equivalent fractions we'll be saying um no that's a really bad example instead of saying add for add two fractions it'll be add fractions with the same denominator add fractions where one denominator is a multiple of the other add fractions where one denominator the denominators share a common factor and add fractions where they have no common factors so to, to really try and break down topics like that but if take your example there those two questions would be in any form of categorization will be tagged by the same thing, right? You know, yeah. solve equations with variables on both sides or whatever yeah. it is. And yet, as you say, it's that single choice of the number yeah. that brings to light a misconception that may have lay buried had that choice of example not been there. Yeah. 
so interesting. It was just because it was an ex. Yeah. Know, if I had chosen any other thing, I wouldn't yep. have noticed that. And you know, and obviously, I, I, they, if I, and also, I think if I'd given it to them in a collecting like terms context, simplify yes. the algebra, and yes. there'd been a two x, and there'd been a negative x later on in the in the expression, then I think they would have got it right. Um, and it was just in that particular context, in that particular number, strophe and misconception. So that was that. an interesting one. The other one I saw, I've just taught year eight Pythagoras, and we were doing, and then, oh, I gave them an assessment on some stuff they'd done in lockdown, which they were awful at. So then I just had this random lesson at the end of term where we were doing some stuff on area of circles. And I was showing them some compound shapes. And this one this one shape was a square and a triangle stuck onto it. So it's just okay. a compound shape, square and triangle. And and I was leading up to how do we find areas of compound shape involving circles. But I said, right, what do we do here? And I just wanted them to say, we find the area of the shape, the two shapes and we add them together. So this girl says, all right, first of all, we find the area of the square. And then we go to the triangle and we do A squared plus B. She started doing Pythagoras. And oh, I'm like, yeah. so now the reason she was doing Pythagoras is because I've just, and I'm like what are you doing <laughs> yes like, well I'm finding that length and it's like well you know we've talked like a million times about how to find the area of a triangle and it never involves that length and isn't it funny how they that it's not it's not necessarily a misconception it's just a big fog in her brain mm-hmm. to do with the stuff that she's recently learned oh, of course that's exactly and, and again it it's like so do I classify this as a misconception if I was to ask her um, in a month's time how to find the area of a triangle maybe she could do it then when she's not all Pythagoracy. I don't know but it's an interesting one isn't it that they they you often see them do that in tests where they will they will um try and use the thing they just learn on everything of course <laughs> that's fast what was your um how did you solve the uh, the X one? What did you say to, to the girl who was taking away the X and it disappeared? Well, I always do the whole, if I have two Xs and I take away yeah, an X, yeah, yeah. how me many too. Xs have I got? But it's, it's just the way you say it out loud. But obviously it doesn't look like that on paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm always saying it out loud like that. If I have this many Xs and I subtract this many Xs, what have I got left? And that makes sense to them. But you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know a, a kind of better way to solve. You should that. have got out your, all your manipulatives that you always use. That's what I should have done. You're right. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, um, little plug here, Joe. World exclusive view here. So I'm obviously I'm doing a session on Friday. I think. Yeah. Not the keynote, as we've already uh, already established. <laughs> I'm paying to do this session, but I'm doing it on um, one of my misconceptions sessions where i take data from diagnostic questions and i can exclusively reveal the topic is going to be area and perimeter and i found some absolute gold absolute gold i've I've been planning it today and i've i reckon i could do an hour and a half on misconceptions with area from counting squares and perimeter there's incredible ways kids are going wrong on these so i'm 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 teaching that to year seven straight after easter so that will be very useful for me i might come and see you speak whoa (laughs) wow okay great right okay so uh session two i thought i'm going to put myself out of my comfort zone and i went to see clarissa doing paper folding maths now you'll know joe i am crap at anything like this anything visual anything shape and space I cannot do <laughs> the opening task, like the warm up. This was to warm people up. Hmm. You had to take a sheet of A4 paper and you had to fold it into twelfths, right? So you had to fold it lengthways twice to get that into four. And I could do that. But then you had to fold it the other way and you had to kind of judge where a third would be. So you right. could fold it over and then fold it back. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I, I wish I could show you my piece of paper. I've left it downstairs. It was nowhere near a bloody 12. <laughs> Cry. And that was a warm-up. So I'm thinking, flipping it. But here's the big twist. So first thing to say, it was a fantastic workshop. Um, 
the I get I, I believe whether uh, obviously I think the conference is sold out, but I think they're going to make on-demand tickets available, aren't they? I think Joe. So yeah. Uh, so I think people in a week these workshops will be available to watch. Yeah, and I definitely recommend watching this because of all the ones like the PowerPoint's no good. You need the visual of, of right. Carissa kind of doing it and all this kind of stuff. So it was amazing. We, we were doing paper folding, how it relates to fractions, uh, algebra, angles, all this kind of stuff. It was uh, surds. It was incredible. But then came a twist. So I'm sat in my office waiting for the next activity, and she goes, "This one has been written by Mr. Barton." Oh. I was like, what? So I think, oh, there's another Mr. Barton out there. It's one I'd wrote. This is no word of a lie. Must have been about 12 years ago, 13 years ago. It was a paper folding angle chase. And had I not seen it, I would have, that would have gone from my head, right? But is the, so first I'd forgotten it. But then the bigger problem was I couldn't bloody do it. So I'd written it. I didn't have a bloody clue how to fold this paper. Could you and do it when was, you first wrote it? Or you, you I have no know. idea. I assume I did, but I, I must have been a different person. But before I got infected with all this explicit instruction nonsense, when I was creative, I was absolutely laughing with this. So, yeah, that was a low point. Um, I couldn't do my own activity. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a great session. It was something completely different. So, uh, fun, yeah. so I enjoyed that one. Uh, whilst I'm just on a roll, Joe, I'll just tell you about session three because this was a twist for me. So I went to see, well, I intended to see Gemma Sherwood on ratio and proportion but it coincided with me picking Isaac up from nursery so this is this is how the session went for me first 10 minutes I'm watching it and it's like the start of a movie I'm hooked in because Gemma um I always forget this we did our PGCE at the same time so we've been teaching the exact same some number of years right. and Gemma spoke about how in the 20, 2007 to 2014 curriculum, ratio and proportion were kind of separate topics. And yeah. you could teach ratio in about a week. You just did a bit of equivalence, a bit of sharing, a bit of simplifying and crack on. Yeah. And proportion, you could do that pretty quick as well. You do a few recipes and then you teach mm -hmm. them the K and the fish sign and then crack <laughs> on to something else. Yeah. And she's saying how uh, and then in the 2014 curriculum, it's much more explicit about how it relates to other topics. It's become a much bigger thing. And a whole session was about how racial and proportion essentially finds its way into everything. Yeah. And how with a bit of a shared approach to it, by always showing different representations, different ways of, of representing and thinking about racial and proportion, we can help students make these connections and these links. And just as I'm walking out the door, she's saying a big thing to think about is try and convey to students that one is to four as two is to eight. And if you can yeah. show them this relationship in fractions, in ratio, in tables, in graphs, in double number lines, it's pulling together all these different areas. So I'm thinking, this is amazing. But then I had to bloody walk to nursery. So I'm listening on my headphones and she said, oh, look at this diagram, look at this. But I couldn't because my phone's in my pocket and I'm holding <laughs> Isaac's hand. Then Isaac's chatting about flipping meatballs that he's had and his, <laughs> fr his friend Thomas and all this. I'm thinking, shut up. I'm trying to listen about racial and proportion here. So anyway, I just got back in time to see the end bit where Gemma's big kind of takeaway was... Um, try and show these different representations so students can see the different links between different areas of mathematics. Again, it's going to be one I'm going to need to rewatch. I've not done it justice there, but it was it was a very strong session. Um, any thoughts on ratio and proportion, Joe Morgan? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I really wanted to see Gemma because she's always a fantastic speaker. And um, obviously, I'm very interested in proportion because it is a massive deal. Um, and um, I am going to watch that one on catch up. Like I, I knew I was going to need to do that anyway, because it's one of those things where like the three sessions I really wanted to yeah. see today were all on at the same time. 
Um, so yes, I'll catch up on that. But um, no, yeah, it's, it is interesting, the massive transformation. There's a, we've got a journal coming out for the MA um, next month, I think it comes out in May, that me and Ed Southall have um, guest edited. So nice. I'm a journal editor now. So this is nice. Exciting. And it's the 150th anniversary thing means that we're doing all these special journal editions. And it's a Don Stewart special edition. Wow. Um, so we've put some um, really lovely tributes to Don Stewart in there. Um, but also in there, and actually not um, not relevant to the Don Stewart thing, because actually it's an article I wrote two years ago about ratio and proportion. And it's funny, yeah, I've been waiting for it to go in. And it happens to be going in the one I'm editing, but I didn't, it's not, that's not my, that wasn't my decision. But yeah, so you'll, um, I've written an article about how ratio has changed over the sort of last couple of hundred years nice. because actually it's it's totally different and it's like a weird thing that's not even taught in some countries you know some countries just don't teach ratio it's not a yes. thing and then and then the way even the way it's taught in this country looks nothing like how it used to be taught um and also the idea of what proportion means mm. it's just really, so anyway if you I uh, read the article <laughs> and then you'll see all this really interesting stuff about ratio and proportion and its evolution. Um, but yeah, I, I am really interested in, in it. So I will catch up on Gemma's session. Um, I went to see Chris Pritchard. Yes. Who is the incoming president of the MA as Hannah Fry's term ends next week. And then he'll be the new president. Um, and he spoke about mathematical diagrams, but I also wanted to see Chris Smith and um, I caught, this is amazing. Chris Pritchard finished 10 minutes early so then I got to hear Chris Smith sing at the end of his nice. session. So that was brilliant because I would like to see all of Chris Smith's session and I will catch up on it, but the, at least I got to see the song, which really cheered me up. <laughs> um, but Chris Pritchard um, was talking, because this is my kind of thing. He talked about um, diagrams and he was looking at lots of um, old mathematical texts and um, and sort of Euclid and stuff like that. Um and he was talking to us really about the importance of diagrams, but also just showing us some lovely diagrams that have kind of, you know, that, that uh, have evolved over the years. Um, so it was really good. I'll just tell you one story that was fascinating. Um, do you know um, William Playfair? No. Ah, see, this is because you haven't watched my Lumen talk. You know, University of Loughborough. Yeah, I, mean, I do. Like, you're like an honorary fellow there or something, aren't you? Or something. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I don't have to pay for it either, which is different from the MA. So that's a bonus. <laughs> So Lumen um, asked me to do a talk for their CPD, which I'm now starting to think is like, they, we need to advertise that more. Isn't that amazing? They've got this bank of... Oh, it's amazing. All the big names have done one now. Exactly. You know, as well. just did one on um, literacy and yeah. like really great stuff on there. Anyway, I did one on their uh, pie charts in depth. And in my pie chart talk, I talk about um, William Playfair, but I didn't know his fascinating story. Um, so he's a, um, a Scotsman and he was born in 1759 and he was involved in some stuff with Bolton and Watt to do with steam-powered equipment. So he did a bit of stuff there with some massive, okay. like, names in science. Then he went to France around the time of the Revolution, um, and he he was a real nasty piece of work, this, this, uh, <laughs> this Playfair. So basically, he's, um, all these French people were fleeing France because of the Revolution, and he sold them fake land deeds in America. Oh. So then they went to America and there was no land. Oh, so he's a really, no. really nasty one. And um, then he became a British agent, and he worked out how semaphore was being used in France. So he basically nice. broke their semaphore code. Um, and he tried to flood France with counterfeit notes. So he did all this stuff, and he ends up in prison. Um, and and he did he did some sort of maths while he was in prison. <laughs> anyway, the whole the whole the reason he's kind of was being talked about was he invented the 
the bar chart, the pie chart and time series graphs. Wow. Um, so like he was, I just, it's really interesting because I knew he invented pie charts, but I didn't know that he had this really interesting life. Um, so there's, this was a really nice session because I, I've like extended my stuff to acknowledge and learned a bit of maths history. Um, and it was interesting looking at like, he didn't even want to invent the bar chart. It was because he only invented the bar chart because this particular bit of data that he wanted to represent, they didn't have any historical records. So he couldn't do a time series graph. Yes. And he was annoyed and he had to do a bar chart instead. And that was literally like the first bar chart. So it was really interesting. And there was lots of stuff like that in the talk. Um, and I love that kind of thing. When I saw the description, I thought that is right up your street. That Yeah, that yeah, idea. really good. I mean, there was, um, you know, the you know the colourful version of Euclid, which was yes. the, the burned version, which was from the, oh, I think it's the 1800s. Um, and it's um, that was really interesting because that was obviously, it used to be, it was Oliver Burns' colour version of Euclid, 1847. And it used to be that all students just studied Euclid by literally just mm. reading this dry, horrid text. And that was geometry education. Yes. And then um, Oliver Byrne wrote the colour version to try and help students make sense of it by using colour diagrams, yes. which is just lovely that even back in the sort of early 1800s, he was, they were thinking about pedagogy and how to help students understand. And obviously this then leads into the kind of, the foundations of the MA because the MA originally was about the reform of geometry teaching yes. and how do we move away from this sort of dry Euclid teaching. It was really interesting. So I, I do like a bit of maths history and you only get that at the MA conference. So it's great. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> right, Joe, which brings us to the end. So we had a final plenary from uh, Steve Wren. Now let me get his title right. Like, ch I always get it. Like, chief, oh, I'm sorry, like head of um, that inspector. Oh, what are you I'm saying? national lead. National lead. Mathematics, yeah. That's exactly what it is, national lead. So is that what Jane Jones used to be? I believe so, yeah. So yeah. it's it's the big job, isn't it? So, you know, when... um. Because it used to, you know, it used to be that when I did Ofsted inspections, you get all these inspectors come in and observe your lessons and say, that's bad maths teaching because you haven't done an investigation yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And so this is something that maths teachers feel really strongly that we need our Ofsted inspectors to really know what good maths yes. teaching is. Um, but it's a bit less like that now because um, my understanding is that now when Ofsted come in, they're looking much more at high level curriculum in maths yeah. and they're not doing quite so much of sort of scrutiny of pedagogy, yes. um, I believe. That's um, my as, understanding. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm awaiting Ofsted inspection and my school was meant to be done this year. And so we, uh, we're kind of waiting for it to come. But it, I think the funny thing is that we see Ofsted as this judger of us you know like they're mm. going to come and just cast judgment on us so we see them as almost the enemy um whereas his talk was interesting wasn't it because it was really just about he was talking about offset trying to gain an understanding of what was going on in schools in the last year and yeah. and, and that they just seemed like they was kind of fact finding um in order to provide some advice and support if they could but really they were just he was talking about their kind of fact finding and, and what the outcomes for their various surveys were so, um, yeah, he was, yeah. He was, he was he's a nice guy. Like I messaged yeah. you, uh, what WhatsApp you during it and what do you think of him? And you say he's just a normal guy. Like yeah. he's just just nice, wasn't he? He was just he was a nice uh, Yorkshire man, wasn't he? And he's, he's got a lot of experience and he's like, he is he is a, a teacher's teacher, you know, as yeah. in he's he's got loads of experience teaching and um, he just seemed like he's, if, if, if anyone's going to understand the experience of teachers, it's him. And he's got young children and yes. he, he went through the remote teaching experience himself. 
Um, so I, I get a really good feeling about him. I think it's I think he's going to be um, he's going to be on our side. Um, but that it shouldn't really be like that, should it? <laughs> they should all be yes. they're all on our side, really. We just don't tend to see Offset as being on our side. I would I would invite him on the podcast, but when Jane Jones came on a month later, she announced a retirement. So it might be the end of his career if he oh. if he came on. Um, I took a few uh, screenshots here, just stuff that I found interesting. So uh, oh, I thought this was interesting when. Um, in the question and answer bit at the end. So yeah, his, his, his whole talk was on what Ofsted have found out about teachers' views on what happened during remote learning and parents' views and so on. But uh, there's a really good question uh, at the end about whether he thinks that parents' views of teachers has kind of gone up as a result of having to try and teach their own kids and realizing how tricky it is. And I get the sense that teachers are held in a lot more respect, Joe. Do, do you as kind of a result of, of, of remote learning and lockdown and stuff or not? Um... I guess so. I mean, I think, I'm, I don't know, it's been difficult this year because teachers were so a- attacked in the media that's true. Yeah, that's true. from last March onwards. Um, and so we've got to balance the fact that yeah. we have been scapegoats and public enemy Good number point. one with the fact that perhaps some parents now um, value our role as as babysitters to some extent yeah they're seeing how hard teaching is but they're also saying oh my god without the teachers I have to look after my own child so the teachers but yeah I think I think it does feel I I you know I I'm sure I'm not the only teacher who still feels quite aggrieved by the treatment in the media this year and the fact that you know we've been sort of um we've been public enemy number one just because people have been looking for someone to blame for COVID and someone to get angry at so they got angry at us um but yeah, it was, um, he, he certainly, you know, it, there was certainly a good feeling in the conference session that people were very grateful to him for speaking up for teachers, yeah. obviously being on teacher's side. And we don't get enough of that. I mean, it's a shame. It's Wilshire, isn't it? Did he used to be, um, said, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. a disgusting man, isn't he? But he, he he's, <laughs> I, can, I can say that. I'm never going to meet him. Um, he, he's been very anti-teacher the whole way through and saying quite ridiculous things and I think you know that's and and even though he's not I don't know what he is now but he doesn't work for whoever he would it was the Ofsted or Ofcore I don't know yeah he doesn't work for them anymore but still because he's formally works for them it almost feels like he's speaking on their behalf when he's not um but yeah so I, I think it was um yeah we do need people on our side and I think we're all very conscious of the fact that we we've had a we've had a tough run in the media this year um but yeah there was some there was some interesting stuff at the end, someone someone asked the question: Should all students repeat a year? And I literally wrote in big capital letters, "No." Yes. <laughs> I was really angry at that yes. question. It's like you know when you've got like kids like mine who have just yeah. worked so hard yeah, throughout yeah, lockdown, yeah. and we've done yeah. every single bit of work, and then for someone to suggest that my children should be kept back a year in their life, yes. like no. <laughs> um, and actually, a lot, it was interesting. A lot of teachers saying. Uh, someone was saying no, they haven't assessed their students because of well-being or whatever. And it's like, well, actually, I, I give my students uh, two kind of mini tests, a half term normally at the end of a topic. Um, and so when they came back after Easter, no, after lockdown, I gave them their usual end of. So I gave them a test last week. It's 45 minutes. It's not a big massive assessment they know it's not going to like affect what set they're in or anything it's not a big deal but um you know they I, I did assess them on everything they've done since January so all the topics they've done at home um and the topics they've done uh, since they come back um and I was really furious actually because for example my year eights did area of a circle in January with a different teacher but they you know they did they did that in in uh, remote learning they did area of a circle again with me in February yes, online yeah, and yeah. I did volumes of cylinders and I recapped it they did the Hegarty task on it and then I, I assessed them last week. Question one was literally find the area of the circle. 
And, you know, it was like they got given the radius. There was nothing hard in the question. Um, and half the class got it wrong. And mm. they knew they had a test coming up. And what they hadn't done was spent one minute revising. And yet everyone will be like, oh, the poor students, give them a break. They've had a really tough time. You know, they had to learn online and, you know, and it's like, well, actually, they could also spend one minute revising for the test. So uh, perhaps I'm less sympathetic than other people. But and also, and, and also, like, again, if, if the tests are done in the right way, we, we know tests contribute to learning. They help kids remember yeah. things and so on and so forth. It's a, yeah. yeah, it's a tricky. I, I, I think... First day back or first week back, kids getting big, high stakes, scary tests is a bad idea. But oh, no, no, nobody's doing, nobody's doing no. that, you know. No. But the low stakes tests to, to help teachers figure out where the kids are and help the kids get back into a routine. Yeah, I, I think they're, I think they're a good yeah. thing. And I just, I just think that we can't, we can't just keep using something no. as an excuse. They have had a tough time. But they also um, can take some responsibility for their learning now when they're back in school, and you know, they they can't just say oh, you know, I've, I have I didn't do any revision and, oh, that's fine because you've had a tough year. It's like, no, you could have spent five minutes just showing me a little bit of respect and doing some revision for my maths test. So, yeah, oh. I did have a go at them. I was rather cross. Um, but, yeah, we do have to stop because we've got a lot of that with behaviour as well. Mm. Like we have um, we had a fight in our playground last week, first fight we've had in my school. You know, we've got really good behaviour in my school. And the two boys had a fight and I broke it up. So this was part of nice. my stress for a few weeks. Yeah. And, um, you know, the parents are like, oh, you know, we shouldn't sanction them. You know, they've had a tough year. <laughs> it's like, it takes some responsibility because you can still know how to behave like a decent human without, even though we've all had a tough year. So I think it's the same with kind of students need to now start saying, well, actually, I'm going to do a little bit of work. <laughs> a message I'm getting from this is Joe Morgan says, get a grip. That's what that's, that's yeah, going to no, I don't want to, I am, it's not that I'm in, I am, I am a little bit insensitive, I, I admit, but um, no, I just think that I, I don't, I don't want this to continue to be this whole thing of like in years to come, like four, five years down the road, we're still having like yes, some reduced yes, yes, GCSE yes. exam because all these poor kids, it's like, no, actually we've got plenty of time and they can just, they could do some work and that would help. And we can't just keep kind of using excuses yes, when actually yes. if we're in the classroom and we're all actually doing what we're meant to be doing, then we can easily catch up. And then we'll be yes. fine. And we need to yes. sort of not sort of um, over exaggerate the uh, the kind of you know these, these kids are resilient. We all know children are resilient, and some of them need extra support. And we can do that, and that's fine. <laughs> um, just a final thing for me. Just a couple of uh, I just took a pick couple of pictures from Steve's uh, presentation that I thought were quite interesting. So. Uh, What's this? We've got forty uh, percent of parents said their main challenge was getting their children to focus on studying. That's probably no surprise. I wouldn't that imagine sense. that. Yeah. That's probably even higher than that. Yeah, I reckon it'd be higher. Yeah. Eleven uh, percent of parents identified that the work was too easy. Five percent too hard. Now that's not a bad result for teachers. That is it. That suggests. I mean, if if I'm reading that right, that suggests eighty-four percent suggests the work is absolutely that's, spot that's really on. That's decent because actually my experience was we had a lot of parents saying that we were going too quickly, not just yeah, in, that, yeah. but in other subjects. So that's actually, that's pretty good. It's all right then, isn't it? Yeah. It's good that. Uh, 80% of teachers had concerns with some students not completing any work. That's no surprise again. Yeah, but I think you made the point when I first spoke to you during like that first kind of lockdown when we did the teaching from home series, yeah. I think you said, the kids who were doing no work in school, they're the ones who are doing no work at home. So that's probably, again, that's probably no surprise that you're always going to get one or two. Yeah, absolutely. It. Yeah, same kids. Yeah. Um, and then we've got 75% of teachers have concerns with some students not fully engaging with the work. Again, that's the, the similar kind of similar issue there. I'm actually surprised it's not 100%. I mean, that's... Yeah. That <laughs> 
You've thought, yeah, exactly I mean, right. I know there are some schools, particularly schools where, like, for example, my colleague, um, uh, my friend of mine has a school where every student had a school Chromebook already. Yeah. And they really did almost have 100% engagement in the work. So schools where they had that tech in place maybe saw that really high engagement. But I am quite surprised still that I mean, 75% of teachers said that some students didn't engage. You always wonder with these surveys whether teachers think I'd rather not say. Yeah, I think so. Blah, 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 yeah. Things a bit of that. And yeah. final ones, I just really like these slides uh, on lost learning. So teachers are asked the question, pupils are progressing at the expected rate using remote learning methods. And the vast majority, well, sorry, the a minority either slightly agreed or strongly agreed with that. Most slightly disagreed or strongly disagreed. And that... That's, again, probably no surprise. And that goes back to that some students will have thrived and we've always known that. But for your average student, being in school is the best place for them. to. to yeah, learn. absolutely. And, and what's interesting is that schools where behaviour is really bad, the, the well-behaved students have, have loved being yeah, away from their yes, badly behaved peers yes. and they've been able to learn really well at home. Yes. So that's been interesting. But actually, yeah, I do. As soon as as soon as they were back in school, like a few weeks ago, it was it was just lovely. I think every teacher in the country would agree yes. that just getting them back in front of you and being able to actually interact with them properly, um, you, it's a hundred percent better. Like yes. you know, as much as we might all think our online teaching was incredible, um, I, it's really really much better in the classroom. Like hundred percent. Absolutely. And the final thing I just wanted to say again, there was no there's no perfect answer to this, but I thought it was a really interesting question that was asked at the end of the session. Will exams change for another, other non-exam year groups in the future? And that's that's a big one, that isn't it? Like year tens, year nines, year eights, and it go like when when are things going to go back to some kind of normality? Is it is it fair to give current year tens just a normal GCSE? Yeah, or? I'm not I'm not sure about current year tens, but I certainly think. I mean, I obviously I, te I teach year seven, eight, and nine, and yeah, they've had. I mean, it wasn't a whole year, so no, they had no. you know what three months in the summer term, a couple of months. So we're, we're talking about five months of learning from home or something like that. Um, and we all, like I've said this before, um, we all know plenty of classes who've had a supply teacher for a year or had yes, you know, all yes. sorts of issues and we've been able to catch them up in year 10, 11. And I've certainly taught year 11 classes before that I've taken over at the start of year 11 and basically had to teach them everything in a year. And we know we can do that. Um, but current year 10s, I don't teach current year 10s. And I suppose I would be quite worried just in terms of fitting in the content um, in such a short space of time. Um, so, yeah, I can understand that. But I don't think that the GCSEs, my personal opinion is GCSEs should be just totally normal for current year seven, eight and nine. And loads of people at the moment are talking about assessment reform. Let's get rid of GCSEs. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm totally opposed to that from a kind of um, um, social mobility point of view. Mm. And the fact that I think that uh, proper, not proper, but, you know, like uh, assessment of that kind of the current GCSE is probably the most fair way of assessing um, um, students from all backgrounds. Um, but yeah, so I would be uh, massively opposed to kind of a move towards all coursework. <laughs> oh, don't even mention that. <laughs> Bloody hell. Oof. We've been there. Right. Okay, Joe Morgan. Well, that brings us to an end. Again, it's a shame, isn't it, that we can't now do our usual, just go to the bar, yeah. have a drink after and do a quiz this. And that kind of thing. I mean, there is a quiz. I think there is. There is a quiz after one of the um, days of the conference. So next yes. week, we'll on that. But it's not the same when we can't like win an Easter egg and get to go up and get it. I know. And you'd probably be plotting how you could stalk kind of fry, all those <laughs> kind of things as usual. But we can't do any of that. We can't do any of that, Joe yeah, Morgan, can sad, we? But, but it sounds like the conferences might be back on from summer i mean uh, lasalle are planning the uh, july one in person so yeah it's not too long to wait is it 
Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Well, as ever, Joe Morgan, absolute pleasure. And especially after a day where you've done a talk, I know it's knackering and stuff. So I really appreciate you giving up the time. So we'll hope to see you again in a week's time, unless your home systems have been hacked. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, you've no technology whatsoever, but fingers crossed that we won't. But uh, Joe Morgan, as ever, it's been an absolute pleasure. You take care. Thank you, Craig. Bye.